Today's reading is James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For when you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace, reap a harvest of righteousness. This is God's word. Evening, everybody. My name's Phil. I'm the assistant minister. Let's pray, and then we'll look at God's word together. Father God, please, would you drive your wisdom into our hearts for your glory? Amen. Now, this, um, this is a picture of where a couple decided to pitch their tent um, just this week. It's a beautiful spot, lovely views on the North Yorkshire coast. It's also a few feet from the edge of a cliff where there are regular landslips that is 250 feet tall. And they had a small child in the tent with them. And we're supposed to be in lockdown. 99% of people looking at that picture think, you are foolish. The only 1% who don't are the people inside the tent. <laughs> it's, uh, but it's pretty obvious. That is not a sensible thing to do. Now, foolishness is pretty obvious most of the time. Wisdom, though, can be harder to spot. What does wisdom look like? Well, wisdom... And this isn't just a Bible definition. I think this is what everybody means by wisdom. Wisdom is understanding the reality of the world so you know how to live well. Understanding the reality of the world so you know how to live well. That's what wisdom is. Understanding the natural world, uh, politics, relationships, people, finance. Understanding all those things so you don't make a train wreck of your life. That's what wisdom is. But while people agree on the concept of wisdom, there isn't much agreement on the content of it. From Confucius to Plato to Machiavelli, there are lots of competing visions out there. Now, I think in our culture, in 21st century London, broadly there are two contrasting visions of wisdom that we buy into, by and large. One is the hard-nosed schema, the cynical savvy, unscrupulous go-getter who manipulates the, the office politics, reads people, plays them off against one another, and gets ahead. They have great insight into people and how things work, and they use it to compete and to win. The other vision of wisdom that we often buy into is very different indeed. It's the, the mindfulness guru like Jay Shetty or the learn-to-love-yourself teacher like Brene Brown. It's very different indeed. It's, it seems to be uh, learning to understand my truest self so I can live in peace with who I really am. And developing harmony with, with what the world is like and living a little bit more in rhythm of nature and loving myself and accepting myself. Now James in chapter 3 is going to give us a different wisdom. 
completely different. There are lots of elements that are true, actually, in both those visions of wisdom. But what James is going to teach us is richer and deeper. And it's bound to be because it comes from the best source of all, the wisdom of our creator, the one who knows us and the world better than anybody. And it's a vision of wisdom which is far better because it's not a narrow, selfish wisdom, a wisdom about me and my life and me getting ahead with my goals. It's a wisdom which looks out and a wisdom which brings blessing to others. And we'll see as we go through, uh, these won't exactly be the points, but you'll see the three themes that come through this are wisdom is about character, wisdom is about community, and wisdom is about eternity. That's basically what he's going to tell us. Wisdom is about, it's about character, it's about community, and it's about eternity. Firstly, uh, verse 13, true wisdom is about humble character. So James 3 and verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Now, James has been teaching throughout, real faith in the real Jesus makes a real difference to how you live. That's been his big banner. Real faith in the real Jesus makes a real difference to how you live. And chapter 2, verse 18, show your faith by your deeds. Now, chapter 3, verse 13, show your godly wisdom through a good life and humble deeds. Now, there's a specific point and a general point here. The general point is wisdom is about character. It's seen in literally the good life, the attractive, the beautiful life, which is instantly a challenge because the way we think about wisdom itself is completely divorced from character. Uh, it's, it's a set of techniques or knowledge. So you listen to the podcast, you watch the TED Talk, and you learn how to live with a lot less anxiety how to be more assertive in your career, how to manage your finances better. You acquire knowledge and skills. But in the Bible, wisdom is part of character. It doesn't just involve your brain being filled, but your heart being changed. So wisdom is not about... Well, there's uh, inside the Bible, you'll find every single possible situation in life, and you just have to learn all of them, and you'll learn what particular little bit of wisdom applies to this particular decision in life. It's not like that. Wisdom in the Bible is much more about your character being shaped and changed so that you become the kind of person who does the wise thing, whatever situation you face. Wisdom is about character. But you'll have noticed there is a specific point here too. The element of character that he, he lands on is humility, which might strike us as odd. I mean, who here, when you think of wisdom, the first word that springs to your mind is humility. Seems odd, doesn't it? Why would humility be the first characteristic you pick when you're talking about wisdom? Well, I think it comes back to the foundational statement about wisdom that's found in Proverbs 1 verse 7. If you've read uh, much of the Bible, you, you may well know it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom because God is the most fundamental reality, more fundamental than gravity, than the ground beneath your feet is the existence of God. And wisdom, therefore, begins with acknowledging that there is a God. And the God who is is the great God. He is a God who is wholly unlike me and you. He is 
in control of everything. He is not created, he is not contingent, he is not dependent upon us. Whereas I am a creature, I am finite. And as we've all learned in the last year or so, I am most definitely not in control. And so when you, when you encounter the reality of the God of the Bible, unless you are nuts, you have to respond with humility. Wow, okay, you're in control, not me. I live for a brief flicker of a moment, you are eternal. I see this, you see everything. Okay, I'll keep a bit quieter and I'll be humble. It's just... It's just a rational response to reality. So verse 13, the the person who's drunk deeply from God's wisdom, the Christian who has studied the Bible and grown wise, is noticeable not just, wow, because they're really shrewd with investments and navigating office politics, but because their life is attractive and they are humble. Secondly, uh, verses 14 to 16, worldly wisdom breeds misery. Verse 14, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Again, you think, what? What an odd thing. Why would you boast about being uh, full of envy and selfish ambition? Well, you boast because it works. I mean, we all know that there are plenty of people who are just full of envy and selfish ambition and they get ahead. They seem to be winning. And so they're quite happy to say, hey, you want to get ahead in life, learn from me, look at me. My life works as I sit on my yacht in the Mediterranean with my fake tan and my 15th wife. It works. But for a Christian in particular, to live like that is to deny the truth, verse 14. Well, which truth and how do you deny it? Well, I think he means the truth that God's way is the wisest way to live. You see, if my life is marked by a selfish ambition that sacrifices ethics and relationships and commitment to church to get ahead, that's willing to disobey God and ignore people to get what I really want, if I live like that, then it's as if I'm saying, you can't trust God's plan for your life. You just can't. If you want to get what is good, you have to ignore God, you have to disobey God, and you have to, you have, to have sharp elbows, people. It's the only way to get what's good in life. In other words, if you live like this, you might never say it out loud, but your life is a megaphone that shouts, God's wisdom doesn't work. Ignore it. It just doesn't work in the real world. And why would we say, oh, I would never want to say something like that. I'm a Christian. I follow God. I, I want to live by his wisdom. The ugly truth is that when we look around and we see people who clearly ignore God getting all the things we want in life, we're tempted to follow their path. And so James warns us, verse 15, such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, this, this so-called wisdom that we, we see and we think, oh gosh, it does look like it works. It says, look, three adjectives. It's worldly. It doesn't come from God in heaven. It's unspiritual. It's, it's from human thinking, not divine thinking. And ultimately, it is demonic. I mean, just look at the results. Verse 16, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Ugly thoughts lead to ugly actions 
and they create ugly relationships. You see, when someone gets ahead in the office by trampling on everybody else, by taking credit for other people's work and lying to avoid responsibility for their screw-ups, when someone does that, the teams that they eventually lead are almost always snake pits of competing ambition and backbiting and cutthroat games of politics. Or when people seem to achieve happiness and fulfillment in life by just ditching anybody with negative energy in my life and ignoring costly relationships and taxing responsibilities, those left behind where they feel bruised and broken and just think, why should I bother? Why should I bother serving other people? And when I do, I just get ditched. We've all seen the, the COVID guilt trip ads uh, you know, the NHS one, look her in the eyes and tell her you never bend the rules. They warn us, your selfish behavior can have a negative impact on others. It can spread something that hurts others. So to a, a selfish, me-first approach, well, it has a toxic impact that spreads to others and damages them. Now, we might think James's talk of disorder and every evil practice is a little bit extreme, but what James is doing is he's saying, look, I know you can't see it from where you are, but you need to know what's at the end of the road. You think, hey, look, it's just there. I've just got to take a couple of steps over here, and, and, and there's what I want. James says, look, you need to know what's at the end of this road. This is not a road to take a step down. This is a dangerous road. For you and for other people, stay off it. And such wisdom, he says, is demonic. Well, it's demonic because God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is triune. God is, in his very essence, self-giving, delighted, other person-centered love. God, God just exists to pour himself out for others. And you are made in the image of that God. And so any wisdom, any way of looking at life that is about uh, me first and just, you know, others come alongside me only if they serve me, only if their energy is helpful for my life and my ambitions, that approach is an utter denial that I'm made in the image of the self-giving, loving, open-hearted God. And so it's demonic. Worldly wisdom breeds misery, James says. Don't follow it. By contrast, uh, biblical wisdom, where there was strife and competition, but before we see peace and cooperation, because true wisdom brings peace. Verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. It's pure. It's not deceitful, twisted, or corrupt. It, it doesn't delight in what is filthy, what is unhealthy, what is unhelpful. It's peace-loving. It doesn't cause conflict. It doesn't always have to fight my corner. It doesn't always have to be proved right. It takes things down a notch. It believes the best rather than striking back before finding out. It's considerate. It's not just about me and what I want and what I'm comfortable with personally. I care about others uh, and I consider the impact my decisions and actions have on other people. 
It's submissive, like Jesus was, happy to submit to the will of God the Father, happy to submit to those God has set over us. Now, we all know the wisdom of our world tells us, look, submission, it's demeaning, it's bad, it's beneath you. But just think for a moment, what would the world be like if no one submitted at all, if we all just asserted my rights? It's the law of the jungle. Fine if you're the biggest, the strongest, and the most well-resourced. But for the poor, the vulnerable, and the elderly, well, they just get trampled into the dust. You can't live with no one submitting. It's full of mercy and good fruit. It is wonderful to be shown mercy. I hope, <laughs> I hope you've worked that out by now. I mean, we're all old enough that I hope we've worked out that we don't always get it right. And it is wonderful when we don't get treated as we deserve, when we've got things horribly wrong. Christians, we should be the first people who delight to show mercy to others because we have been shown eternal mercy by the God we've wronged more than anyone. It's impartial. It's been a theme already in James. Treating people fairly, not, uh, you know, serving people who I know will do me a favor and ignoring people who won't. No, it treats everybody the same. It's sincere, which is literally uh, unhypocritical because few things are uglier than religious hypocrisy, which is one thing in church on a Sunday and a very different thing at home or in work the rest of the week. It's a very beautiful thing, integrity. Hypocrisy is ugly, but integrity, someone who you know is the same to your face as behind your back. You know you stand with people like that. We admire people like that. We want to be in our best moments, people like that. The Spirit's challenging us through these verses. Look, forget the what-ifs that we all have. Answer this question. Am I known and do I want to be known for selfish ambition or humble compassion? For fighting for my rights or being a peacemaker? We're all very good at arguing about the exceptions. And the real issue is, what is the general rule of my life? Do I look wise in the world's eyes or do I... But wise to God. See, a life where we put other people first is radically countercultural. It is not being a doormat, it's being a blessing. It's a very different thing. And God, who designed life, says this is the very best way to live. Jesus, who lived the fullest life of anyone, lived like this. And yet still, still we, we say, yes, I just. I just worry if I live like that, I'll just be taken advantage of and I'll miss out. Well, verse 18 shows the results of this behavior. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. When we live God's ways, we are sowing seeds, investing in a way that is guaranteed a harvest of righteousness. Not that we uh, become right with God, uh, that we earn God's acceptance. The Bible never teaches that. It's, uh, verse 18 is uh, contrasting with verse 16. Both are talking about actions and their results. So the actions in verse 16 lead to toxic results in relationships with others, whereas in verse 18, uh, sowing peaceful deeds leads to righteous behaviors. The behaviors listed in verse 17 spreading amongst others. It's a pattern. Not a promise, it's a pattern. That's what wisdom is, not promises so much as patterns. It doesn't mean that everybody you treat well will be positively impacted by your behavior. 
But the pattern God has sown into the world is that we impact those around us. We can either reinforce the natural tendency to selfishness and disorder, or we can spread God's radical peace, radical mercy, radical purity. And God's wisdom works. Actually, you often even see it in this world. There's the, um, the famous uh, management uh, book written by Captain David Marquette of the, the US Navy. And there's a picture of him looking smug, trying to sell his book even to us. I think it will appear in a moment. Uh, he, was, um, he was appointed, there, there he is, turn the ship around and buy my book, I think is the, is the caption. He, uh, he took on the worst performing submarine in the entire US Navy. It was just an awful, awful boat. And he realized that he couldn't improve the boat just by getting individuals to follow his orders better. And what he realized is over the course of the cruise, um, sounds like going to the Caribbean, but that's what they call them, the, uh, going the, on the, the voyage, the mission with the, with the sub, he had to work on the character of the crew, teaching them to take responsibility for their actions and to stop competing with one another, but try to serve and help one another. And as he did so, as individuals started to look out less for number one and more for each other, it went from being the worst performing boat in the entire US Navy to being the best performing with the highest crew retention, the highest rate of promotion. He was just actually applying the wisdom of James 3. God's wisdom works. But there is one thing we need to say before we close on that theme. The language of sowing and reaping that's used in verse 18. Well, in the Bible, more often that points not to things in this life, but beyond to God's eternal rewards. And that eternal perspective, which is not explicit, but you can't help but hear if you've read much of the Bible. That's a game changer when you're working out what the wisest way to live is. See, lots of things look really wise in the short term, but if you let the video run just a little bit longer, oh, so it's, um, if you haven't noticed, it's been pretty chilly um, early in the mornings recently, and um, uh, the uh, walking, to, walking to school with the, with the two little boys um, on icy mornings, large ice patches, saying to my five-year-old in particular, do not run on the shiny patches, they're very slippery, and so what does he do? unlike what I would have done, uh, he ran straight onto the icy patch and was fine. See, I can walk on the ice. Within that 30-second segment, the wisdom of the five-year-old looked immaculate. It worked. But when we stretch things out another two minutes, <laughs> we all know exactly what happened. And they were very kind to me and helped me with my sore back. No, they, he fell He fell over. <laughs> He fell over, of course. He face-planted on the ice, and it really hurts. It's not enough to say, oh, it worked out this time. Now, turn those seconds into years, decades. See, I can ignore God's wisdom in this area of my life, and it doesn't matter. I haven't fallen over. I got what I wanted, and everything's fine. And so we keep walking down that path. Sometimes, years later, we reap the bitter harvest of what we've sown, and there's much misery in this life. Far worse, sometimes everything works out just fine down here. And we get all that we wanted, 
in this life. And we miss out on an eternity with God, on the harvest of righteousness and the rewards of Almighty God. But the more that we live and seek to live by God's wisdom, that is to live like Jesus did, the more we'll find ourselves living the sort of lives that make God smile and that remarkably will one day earn his eternal reward. See, too often, I think even in this room, we're tempted to live by a wisdom that even if it's not overtly immoral, is just rather shriveled and diminished. It's self-focused. It's about how can I flourish in my career? How can I find happiness in my relationships? But the Bible's vision for you is richer and bigger and broader. It's expansive. It looks beyond me and outwards to you. It's a wisdom that creates happy community, that sees us flourish together. And it's a vision that doesn't just work in this life, but brings eternal reward. James told us right at the beginning in chapter one, look, if we lack wisdom, ask God. Let's do that now. Praying that we would see through the lies and the half-truths that we're marinated in each day and instead understand, be changed by, and live out God's wisdom. Our Father God, we thank you for your wisdom. We thank you that you know the best way to live and you showed it in the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, we pray, to trust you. Help us, we pray, to to trust you in this life and also to hold on to the promise of eternity for your glory, but also for the good of others, those sitting beside us now, those we know, those we should love. Amen.